0: The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. So I've been trying desperately uh, to figure out how to draw a helpful illustration from something stupid I did on Monday night, um, but I have not been able to weasel it somehow into some sort of application or illustration in the sermon. So instead I decided I would just tell you about it. There's this guy, an announcer, who gets paid to say, I think, he gets paid to say one thing really well. It's like, blah, 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 when we come back on American Ninja Warrior. Like, that's what he's good at, I think. I I don't know what else he does, but that's what he's good at. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what kind of mistake I made on Monday night. Um, My week is normally as follows. Monday, Tuesday-ish. I take a look at where Stacy's going to be, or I'm going to be usually usually where Stacy or someone else is going to preach, and I'm looking through texts and trying to figure out themes and understand it and think about the songs that we should be singing alongside of it and uh, scripture passages that will support it and help us think about where we're going. And then Tuesday or Wednesday, I begin picking the songs and putting them into PDF forms. And By Wednesday, I'm trying to send them out to all the musicians so that they have an idea of where to go and they can practice, etc. By Thursday, Friday, usually I have a formal sense of an order of worship that I send out so that all the musicians and everyone that's involved with reading Scripture or praying or even some of the other people that are helping out there have an idea of what we're doing overall. And then usually Saturday's free, um, usually, unless I'm behind and i got to send something or someone says, hey, you forgot to attach this music, something like that. And I send it out again, if, if that's a problem. So normally, for one night to be skipped is really no issue. You know, like, I, can, I thought to myself, I can, I can probably skip a night. So on Saturday night, I stumbled across this show called American Ninja Warrior, and that's a different story altogether. Um, but the season finale was coming up on Monday night. So and I know some of you, you don't want to actually admit it, but you might have watched it. All right. So I, I, will, I was like, I, I would like to see this. So I'm sitting there on Monday night, enjoying it, relaxing, wishing my forearms were a little stronger than what they currently are. Um, these guys do incredible things, and girls. But um, I'm sitting there. A, a commercial break goes on. I go to grab a glass of water or something like that. And in my mind, I'm thinking through, okay, what's going to happen tomorrow night? I've got to make sure I get... Um, You know, the stuff ready to go out, and I got to make sure I know where I'm going. And it hits me. I am not preparing music this week. I am preaching this week. And I turn in from a relaxed, normal person to an angry, worried freak. (laughs) Because Monday night, if, if you preach, sometimes you get a lot of time to preach, but if you're preaching week to week, Monday night, if you can study on Monday night, it's a great like, leg up to kind of be thinking about what's going on and what you're going to be preaching on what we are going to be thinking through the text throughout the whole week. So it's a great time to do that. But I was not sitting there reading. I was not sitting there making notes or praying. I was sitting there watching the season finale of American Ninja Warrior. Um, so if by the end of today, a couple of years, you're saying, man, Chris could have really used an extra day of preparation, now you know where that day went. I repented, and uh, we'll never watch again. So let's get into the text this morning. We're going to be in Mark 12, verse 38 through 44. We're picking right up where Stacy left off. And by the way, Jordan was such a blessing to me. I, I talked to him throughout the week, and I told him this exact story when I was freaking out. And he's like, The preacher boy, a nice guy, is he's like, don't worry, you can just weave it in and redeem it somehow into your sermon. So there it is. Mark 12, 38 through 44. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers She, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all that she had to live on. Let's pray. God, you are glorious and great and kind and patient. You are faithful when we are not, and you bear with us in all of our troubles, our suffering, our pain, our sin, rebellion we are receivers of your sovereign grace we're not wise according to the worldly standards we are not powerful and none of us are of any noble birth but you choose us and you have chosen us weak foolish people to proclaim Christ to the world and you tell us that this word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God Work in us powerfully this morning through your gospel, Lord. It is your good news to us, and we need it. Would you work through these weak, creaturely lips your grace to your people? We ask for you to work in us. Amen. I think probably the best way for us to to get into this is just to dive headfirst into these texts and and, and see this first part. There are two sections here we're going to deal with today. Um, The first one is his teaching. We're gonna start right into it. Let's go right into it and start from the beginning. And in his teaching he said, beware of the scribes. Now who are the scribes? Stacy has talked about this already. This is a group of men made up of scholars and teachers of the scriptures. Their whole job is to be custodians of Jewish tradition and law. They are to be about it, to deal with it, to work in it, to memorize it, to know it, to write it. Everything, their whole job is to be about the scriptures. This is, the dealing, this is the people we're talking about. Jesus begins to describe these scribes, get that? And what they like and what the things they desire and what the things they think are so good for themselves. Number one, who like to, be, to walk around in long robes. They're distinctly different robes. These are not the regular robe of the day, all right? So there's a different garment that's being worn here. It's a different material. It's a different color. Normal Jewish tradition is wearing... Different colors, many, several different colors. These are white. They have long tassels that go down to the ground. These prayer tassels. Um, they're Again, they are distinctive compared to everyone else's. They are distinguished and respectable clothing. Something that sets them completely apart from somebody else. We're told that Jesus says, beware the scribes who like these long robes. And they like greetings in the marketplaces. Now, are we talking about like, your friendly neighborhood Kroger, that is like nice cashiers. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about these greetings in the marketplace that are some sort of a respectful, um, like kind of a a social thing that they did. When the scribe would walk through a place in the marketplace specifically, those that saw him coming, if they weren't doing something specific, and that that was the caveat, they could do, if they were doing like a specific laboring task, they didn't have to do this, everyone else would rise, and they would say, Father, Master, Rabbi, these, these, these titles of great worth. And they're very much a sign of respect. Jesus says they love these. They're verbal and physical, again, rising, to acknowledge them. The third thing I see here, so that they like to walk around in long robes. They like greetings in the marketplaces. And they have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. The seats in the synagogues, so up here we have a front row and some people will sit here because they want to hear better or some people will just sit here because there's nowhere else to sit or some people, I don't know why, but that's not what we're talking When you can try to get a best seat at a concert or something like that, to sit up front, you're trying to hear well or something like that, that's not what we're dealing with. The seats that we're talking about that these guys would sit on would be like up here seats during the sermon, during all the parts of teaching that's going on, they would be sitting up here so everyone could see them. They're developing some sort of a, a pattern here, why they like these different things. They like to be up here so that they can be seen. They stand out. They're different from everyone else. They're respectable and distinguished. And, of course, the pl- these places of you know, great uh, honor at feasts, in these times it would be very normal to have um, a feast and you'd throw a big party and you'd have these men, these scribes, usually like a specific scribe and kind of his posse come and be part of that to show that you were in with a good crowd, respectable, and it showed much, uh, you know, a lot of cloud and it showed that you cared about those kind of things. And the scribes loved to be sitting at those seats of honor, distinguished, set apart, in front of everyone so that the whole crowd could see it was at the feast. So these are uh, the things that they like. Again... It's a place of distinction and respect. That they love. Up to this point, the list is like, ah, eh, you know, not that good. But we're going to take another turn now, and it's going to go to specifically negative. These are not nice words. What does it mean when the text says these are the men who devour widows' houses? This is going to take a little bit more time to explain. So the scribes are not paid for what they do. It's not, you know, in their culture that was considered would be like, a, you know, sacrilege to, to pay someone to work and study in the scriptures. So instead, they, they really lived off of subsidies and different generosities of the community. And people would, you know, offer their houses, offer their food, offer all these different things up to them. They didn't get paid for their scribery. They actually considered part of the poorer class and they were uh, because they didn't technically didn't make any money, they didn't bring home a paycheck, they didn't do business. Instead, they were again part of the poorer class that was given these things. Instead, these guys like this stuff. Again, like I said, the people were generally encouraged to show hospitality to the scribes, and as a result, there are abuses. You know any system that's like this, the idea can be abused, and eventually they say, hey, you're supposed to be supporting me. I'm the one that's given up you know, business or my life of whatever else that I want to do and I've given myself to the scriptures. And my whole life is about this. You need to give to me. Is that a right attitude? No, it's an abuse, but that, that's what's happening. And whether or not this phrase is figurative to show that Jesus views these men as scoundrels or whether it's actually more literal and he's speaking specifically to describe the misuse of widows who are generously supporting them through hospitality, the point is the same. The message is exactly the same. The scribes were using the resources that God was given by the people for themselves. They were sponging it off of them and doing the things that they wanted and enjoying it for themselves. Again, all these different things. We saw a huge list of these things that they love and they were doing it for themselves, for their own pomp and glory. And all this was a detriment to these widows. And so it was said, Jesus says that they devoured widows' houses this way. Essentially, they're abusing them widows who have nothing they've already lost their husband their status their everything what does it mean then for the next phrase i know we're moving through fast and there's a purpose here we got to get to a lot who devour widows houses and for a pretense make long prayers um simply these are not prayers of genuine belief and need these aren't prayers that are to one person these are prayers for pretense for others to see Why should we pray? Is the real question here. Why do you and I pray? Why should we pray? Because we need Him. We know Him, because we're obeying even. We're obeying Him and we love Him and we want to obey and pray and know. We're also in need. We need Him. We can't do the things that God can do, so we need Him to do them. We ask for the gift of faith. We can't do it. We can't muster it up. We need Him to do it. Instead of this, There's an ulterior motive here that the scribes are dealing with. They are for pretense or so others can see. That's the idea here. To show off to others, they're making long prayers. They know how to say all the right words. They roll off their tongue and beautiful and people say, wow, they know how to pray. And they are, they're good. God must love them a lot. So these long prayers are for others to hear like the rest of the things On the list of the stuff scribes like, this was something that made the scribes look great, distinguished, generally awesome. But then we come to Jesus' commentary on these guys at the bottom of this. Who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Or another legitimate translation for this is they will get abundant judgment. Judgment. We already know the passage in Matthew 6, right? You guys know this passage. It talks about, it says, um, he says he relays his Jesus' comments about doing works in front of others. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, They've received their reward. We already know this to be true. They've got it. The fact that they impress somebody else, that's it. Jesus takes it another step though here. Theirs will be the greater condemnation. They will receive abundant judgment for these actions. It's not just they got this and that's the end. Ah, Too bad you didn't get more. No, you'll actually receive judgment for this. This is not who I am as God. So the ends up, end of the section, the description of the scribes is, is pretty grim. does not look good. But this is not the end of our section today. Let's move on to a very familiar story. And don't worry, I'm not end with that and just leave you hanging and that's it. We'll come back and look at these together because they're very important to be taken together. Let's move to a familiar story, a story that Mark has purposely placed right here. The setting, let's read, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came in. let will stop there for a minute. He sat down at the treasury. He moves in. He moves into where? Where is he sitting in the treasury is the place inside the temple. He's moving into the temple, which is going to be very important as we move through Mark. When we get to Mark 13 next week, we're going to see how important that Jesus is making these kind of declarations, and he's showing what's happening here in the temple. It's going to be very important for where we're going and how Jesus treats the temple and how he is letting them know they're treating the temple and how they're abusing it. So again, we're in the temple. That's important. He's sitting at the temple in what's called the court of women. This is because it's an enclosure or the sanctuary where women and children can actually come in and worship. That's as far as they can go. And this, this is where several chests of money are, are situated. Many of them most likely from the research I've been able to do a little bit is they probably look like trumpets of some sort. And that was really so that no one would steal. (laughs) You know, they come in and they have a nice big place and they're made of metal. Remember, coinage on metal, clankety-clank, clankety-clank, it's all going down there. Nice, loud, man, money's coming in. This is good. You can see this. This is the big stage it's set here. All these different places where people are coming for their offerings. Very noisy indeed. Jesus is sitting there watching and he says, and, and Mark says, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. The story is very simple. Person after person open their bags of coinage, and they make that lab. <laughs> you know, have you ever been a, like, a coin star? Is that what it's called? At the, like, the... You know, at the front of, like, a grocery store, they have that, and people are bringing in, like, five-gallon buckets full of coins. I don't know where they got them, but, uh, like, and all that sound, it makes a ton of noise, and you're totally distracted. And, you know, she may be ringing you up six times for the same product, but you're looking over here, you know, because there's all this stuff going on, this coinage happening. This is the idea. It's making a, a big show. Jesus says they put in large sums of money. It's so real that he can say that. It's not like discreet and when they were passing the plates and no, I have no idea how much she gave. I don't know. I can't see it. It looks, looks like paper to me. This idea is very different. You could see everything that was going in. Not necessarily the amount, but you knew it was a lot. A lot of clanking. That's probably a lot of money. So in walks a widow. Actually a poor widow, Mark notes. Not just a regular widow, just a poor widow. And she approaches the offering containers places two of the smallest coins that are in circulation at the time. But there's two smallest you can even do. Two of them together make a penny. Compared to the rest of the givers, this offering was probably not even noticed or recognized. No one saw it. Instead of the clankety-clank-clank that, you know, we're looking for, it was a very, very different sound, like, ding, ding. Like, you know, that... like when you're trying to save something in a window somewhere like on, a, on the computer and like, you hit save and you didn't fill it all correctly and it's like ding, ding, and you go back and click it six more times you think your, your mouse is bad or something. You know, ding, and like, oh yeah, I gotta go back and fill it. That's the sound, ding, ding. They don't even get to click it more times. It's just two, that's it. Ding, ding. As opposed to the coin, coin star. No one notices, no one cares. That's not true. One person cares. One person notices. So much so that the next step in this process is not for him to just say, wow, that was amazing. He calls his disciples over. He doesn't make a comment. He doesn't, Mark doesn't like here just for his readers. Jesus brings his disciples over because it's important enough for them to know something big just happened. And no one saw it. No one saw it. You can be sure that no one, no one cares. No one saw it. Jesus saw it. He responds, he brings them over. This is an opportunity to teach what discipleship to Jesus actually means. Jesus now says, when we read, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's start with this phrase at the beginning. The first thing he says, truly I say to you. Some of your translations might say amen, something like this idea. And usually this would be something that you responded to someone when they would say a a true saying or maybe something from Scripture and people would, you've heard people saying amen or truly. The idea is that they affirm this or there's approval or that's right. Like, yes, what you're saying is right. Jesus, however, has the gall, the pretension to, he's the only one that does this, by the way, to say, truly I say to you. Like, do you get that at all? He's going into his temple. He's the king. He's always right. And he says, truly, I say to you. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen this in Mark. I get it. But it bears, it bears us the time to think about this and to note that he would say, truly, I say to you. Listen, this is important. I approve it. I pursue God with my whole heart. I am his son. Listen to me for a moment. It's going to carry some weight. And then he tells them what he's going to talk about. He says, truly I say to you, he's not pretentious. He's actually just the king. Jesus is going to teach on kingdom, get this, not evaluation, valuation. He's going to teach about kingdom value here. The disciples have seen or heard the gifts of money from everyone else, putting in the offering box, passing through, um, but Jesus wants to tell them about one widow, one woman, who put in two tiny coins. And at this point, I was going to actually hold up the two widow's mites that um, Stacy has and he was supposed to bring for me this morning, but he didn't bring them. So I'm sorry, and you can mock him later. He told me to say that, so that's not the reason. They're tiny. They're tiny. He's drawing, he's drawing attention to this one. Why? We should ask that. That's the first thing. Why is he asking? Because he's going to explain himself. Because she exemplified what it meant. Get this from the last time we've been talking here, not just me, what Stacey's been covering these last couple Sundays. It, it, she was exemplifying what it meant to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. She exemplified it. She came to him not to give out of her extra, not to give out of her surplus or her earnings for the week, Or it got to the end of the month and she's like, oh good, I have some left over and I can give that. It's not what he says. Jesus says she gave out of her poverty. In fact, it was everything that she had. Everything that she had to live on. This gift would then, if you think about the whole picture then, would put her in in a place of complete dependence on God himself. She had nothing else. Jesus is pointing this out. It is now that we finally get to the crux of today's teaching, what we're here to talk about this morning. Jesus wants his disciples to understand how kingdom values work. When a temple bean counter opens up those, those big chests, right, they get out there, they get on their table, and they, get, and they work it out. They the giving, he counts, and he finally gets to a numerical value. He probably writes it down or makes some sort of a record. That's how he is a, a, uh, you know, looking at the giving. When Jesus looks at the giving or the offering, he doesn't even look at the box. Look what he does at the beginning. He sits down to watch the givers come in and to see each one of them and what they're doing. He's not concerned with how much goes in the box. He's concerned with you. He's concerned with the person. like, like that, that kind of blew my mind like to think that like, okay, yeah, right, God's got to have like somewhere where he's thinking about he knows I'd give him this many hundred dollars last month and this much. He is looking at you, your heart, out of what you are, what he has given to you. And this woman, he sees this. When Jesus counts, he looks at the person giving. To God, giving is not about the gift, but rather about the giver and their heart. The irony here, get this, is the woman who had in all cases, in all descriptions, less is now the one who is said to be the one that gave more in irony the one who looked terrible she didn't have anything she gave more than anyone else possibly could she gave everything she had now let's step back for a minute and look at the whole we've we've talked through the two different parts here what's the relationship i want to bring something out that i just kind of got struck with also what did jesus teach about the first shall be last and the last shall be first look at these two different things together These people who have all the things right, all the ducks in a row, knowing God, loving him, or so they say, knowing scripture, all these things that in front, they had the best seats in the house. People would stop and say, Father, Rabbi, with great respect, and they're the first among all their class, all the peoples. They end with the the condemnation saying, yours will be the greater judgment, the greater condemnation. The abundant judgment will be yours. And this woman, woman, who according to everyone else had nothing. She was the last. She was the last. She had nothing. And she is the one who has given and is recommended as the one who has given more than anyone else. She is first in giving. I just thought that was like a a wonderful thought that this is again where we're seeing that the first shall be last and the last shall be first in God's kingdom. So it's on us now to ask the question always, so what? As we talk about this, as we think through these different things, so what? This question is of great importance. And Don't worry. This morning's passage is not about telling you that you should take all your money and give it away. This is not about giving all your money away. Jesus is not prescribing pre- extreme poverty because we need to sign over our checks at the end of every week and give them into the check and just hope the best happens. Jesus is teaching about kingdom valuation here. What in God's eyes is of high value? Money? Stuff? Time? People? Yes. The answer is not no. The answer is yes. All of them. Anything he has given to us, he wants it. Anything that takes our our attention, our love away from him, he wants it. All that stuff. All this stuff means something because it means something to us. So he wants to get it out of the way and recognize that the most important thing is your heart. Stacy said this. The scriptures have told us over and over again. Yes, any of these things is what what you know is what you have. We don't know this woman's whole story, but Jesus tells us what we need to know. She is a poor widow. She has no husband. She has no status. She has no abilities, she has no means, she has no money. What did she have? She had two copper pieces of coinage, and she gave them. Because she recognized that what she did have, she wanted to give back to him. Her heart was given over to him, and she wanted to give whatever she could, and she did. That happened to be two pieces of copper negligible to those counting the money of course in the chest at the end of the day but no 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 not to God yeah remember I mean if you think about this if you and I were to go back and count you know the guys that are different guys count the different ushers that count the money and we count these different checks this one's for two thousand dollars wow this one's for 250 that's great this one's for oh here's a couple hundred dollar bills that's great oh man I forgot could you pick up those two pennies off the floor I forgot about those right? Is it just me that feels that way about two pennies? No. It's you. You feel the same way. We live in a world where that's not important. God doesn't care about that. He wants her heart, and she gave him his heart, her heart. She gave it back to him. She recognized that all she had she could give. She couldn't give of her time. She couldn't give of her husband's household. She couldn't give of this and that. But what she did have, She gave she loved him she had no means and she gave it he knew what it meant for her to give whatever she had her heart belonged to him and she gave it to him so the important question for you and me is what do you have money time a house personalities possessions relationships family but i can hear some of you saying this yeah but it's so hard it's so hard i don't i don't really want to give god my money sacrificially like i i only have so much or I, you know i i don't really want to set aside i can't set aside that much time to pray or like i can't it's really hard to set aside time to really get in his word and read it's it's really hard and I, I don't really like it. And you know, what? I, I don't really want to serve to help out in the kids' ministry because I, you know, I really don't like kids. And I mean, the truth is, I'm pretty selfish. And I really don't want to have my community groups over because they will destroy my home. I know we have these, all these kids and they destroy my house and it's terrible. I hate it. I don't want to do that. I really don't want to have relationships that God has given me for his kingdom. That'd make things awkward at work. I really don't want to do that. I, I, I mean, I'm just being honest. I don't really want to do that. I don't really want to spend real time like, with my family and like discipling them. That's just hard work. And I have one question for you. Are you certain that you know Christ at all? Have you really given your life to him? Is he the pearl of greatest price to you? There's nothing else in this world that matters but him. If not, ask yourself that question. Jesus Christ gave his life from on high to come down and give us life and abundance, knowing the Father through Jesus Christ. He is the pearl of great price. He is everything. Is every attitude of yours this way that I don't really want to do that. I don't really want to do that. Is that really our attitude? Does he have our heart? Stacy brought up Psalm 37:4 this week several times to me. And I was so smitten and like I was just like cut to the heart about this. Delight yourself in the Lord 37:4 Psalm 37:4 and he will give you the desires of your heart not money, not sex, not food, not vacations, not houses, not promotions at work, et cetera. He will give you the desires of your heart. Whether you know it or not, he is the only one that can be, get this, the the only one that can be the thing that is the fullest, most impressive, most pleasurable desire of your heart ever. He is it. Giving things... Giving these things back to God, everything that we have, is nothing when he is our greatest delight. Or stacy has been talking about giving these things back to God is nothing when he is our greatest pleasure, our greatest possession, and our greatest source of pride. When he is that, these things giving it back are normal, are natural because we love him. That doesn't mean it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Because we have breathing down our neck everything else. The world says, Get more money, get more drug or sex. Go get yourself all the good stuff in this life life has to have. Don't give away money. Keep it, get it bigger, 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 better. I'm not saying it's easy. But if we delight ourselves in him, he will give us the desires of heart, our hearts and he is talking about himself. Giving these things back to God is nothing when he is our greatest pleasure, our greatest possession and greatest source of pride. Today's message is really another call to fulfill the greatest commission, the commandment, excuse me. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Except this passage today, it helps us work it out a little bit. It helps us point out what that looks like, what that means. The scribes may think that they love God properly. They're the ones that ask them and and, and recognize, you know, oh yeah, the Lord God is one, you know, You know, love the Lord of God with all heart, soul, mind. They knew the right answer, actually. they kind of like, you've answered well. And they think that they've loved him properly, but their actions have betrayed them. They love themselves. This isn't a love that dutifully performs the things a Christian is supposed to, but rather this love manifests itself in a heart that gives all of our lives back to God because it's all his anyway. And it's all because of Jesus and what he's done for us that we have life in itself. So, if you sit here and you think, this guy is nuts. First he likes American Ninja Warrior, and then he's preaching his crazy talk. And if you're thinking, I'm all into philanthropy, but giving away everything you have, and like actually loving God for all your heart, soul, and mind, eh, I mean, that's, that's, I, that's a little bit crazy, and you're sounding a little too much. If that's you today, then you've missed it. I am not ashamed to tell you you're wrong. Jesus says you're wrong. You don't get it. If you think I'm crazy, I'm a little crazy, but Jesus is not. The folly of the cross is the wisdom of God. And he is the judge. You don't get to decide, sorry. You will stand before him. And if that's you and you don't believe what scripture says, then you've missed it. You cannot see how precious the treasure in the field is and I beg you to reconsider Jesus is better. He is more wonderful and more fulfilling than anything your heart can possibly desire in this world. He is the pearl of great price that will satisfy your heart and save you from the wrath of God. That's who He is. And He offers Himself to you. There's another group of people in here. You give decent sized checks because you know that's what is expected. You serve in a few high-profile positions during the church service so that others can see you. You know just the right type of words to say in your life group so that you can kind of impress the others. You kind of have it together. You even know how to pray well and use the right words in prayer so that in that really holy voice we talked about so that you can be impressive. You are known at work as a Christian person who doesn't cuss and doesn't do drugs and you know, doesn't support Democrats. Like... You're a Christian, you keep a squeaky clean appearance, but you're a fraud. You're a fraud. You don't love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind and your strength. You love yourself. It is not easy to say that. I don't want to say this. This is the truth, and I pound against my heart, and I realize this is exactly me over and over again. This is you and me who struggle this way and we put up these things and we, and we for pretense have long prayers and we love to be seen and we want others to see us do the good things so that then somehow we don't recognize but we can be good in their eyes. Who cares? It's nothing to God. That's it, you got your reward. In fact, there's greater condemnation for you. Remember what Jesus said, you'll receive the greater condemnation. You'll receive Abundant judgment. So, repent. Hear his word and repent. Pray for his great mercy. He is, in his kindness, the one who leads us to repentance. And he wills that all men should be saved. We pray for your soul. If you sit here as a believer, convicted that you believe that Jesus is the pearl and that he is better, and that you ought to love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you want to, but... You aren't. Cry out like the man in Mark 9 24. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I recognize. I believe you are who you say you are. But man, I struggle. It is hard. Help me believe. Please help me to believe who you say you are. And it is true. Stacy made this application already. Pray. Pray that the God of heaven would be kind to your soul to give you faith and repentance to trust him. In earnest, ask your God to work love for him in your heart. Read his word so that you might taste and see that the Lord is good. Meditate on him. Speak, to him, speak of him to one another. Sing to him. Spend time with him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. He alone can change us and make us like him. Let's pray. Our dear Savior and Lord, you are so kind and gentle and patient to take the time to explain and to preach to us through your word. or you've made it abundantly clear that you do not want money thrown out You've made it abundantly clear that you don't necessarily want the right words to be said in front of others. Lord, you have shown us that what you care about is to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May you, Father, change us, and like Stacy talked about, that we would be crucified with Christ and live through him. Do this work in our hearts, dying daily, Father for your glory and your honor, that we would not be a people who love the long robes of this modern era or love the things that make us look so good and respectable. We don't want to be just Christians at the workplace that people are like, oh yeah, they're, they're pretty good. We want you to see our hearts, Lord, and we want you to grasp our hearts and we want to give what we have back to you. Poor beggar widow women being willing to give back what we have. All of it. Our relationships, our time, our money, our service, our families. God, may we give it all to you. May we not hold anything back from your service. Do this work in our hearts. And Jesus, we pray that you would be our champion. We hold tightly to you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.